0: Hello and welcome to Red Planet Review by We Martians for January 11th, 2019. Did you know that it's been over a year now since we've been doing these weekly shows for our $3 and up Patreon supporters? If you've been listening in 2018, thanks for your support. But you're probably wondering why this show is sitting here in the main feed. So if you haven't been listening, I thought that in celebration of a year of covering Mars headlines, it'd be really fun to release an episode to the public again. The show has morphed a little bit since we launched it, and I wanted to share a sneak peek to everyone on the fence. If you like what you hear today, consider joining us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash WeMartians. For a monthly pledge of $3 or more, you get one of these shows every Friday morning, and it's a great way to keep up on the Mars news. If not, hey, enjoy a freebie to kick off 2019. We're back to our regular programming in a little over one week. Anyway, let's get to the headlines. Here's what's in the news this week. We're gonna start off with a science paper for the week. And this paper uh, caught my eye because it's a really great example of the scientific method. And what I mean about that specifically is that science is as much about adding a new hypothesis to the mix as it is about scrutinizing existing ones. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. This is a new paper from Kissick et al. Uh, published in Icarus, and it makes a case against glaciation in Valles Marineris. So since the turn of the millennium, a number of papers have come out that suggesting that Valles Marineris, which is the largest canyon system in the solar system, you can see this on any Mars globe, it's this giant scar across the side of it. And there's been some papers that have been suggesting that this valley network system was shaped in part, or even mostly by, significant glaciation, which is just to say the presence of glaciers. Glaciers are well known to carve a lot of different kinds of landscapes. And so we've wanted to know for a a while why this, or sorry, how this valley was created. I mean, it's a a very prominent feature of Mars and its source and formation is obviously a really important question. So these papers that have come out have suggested three pieces of evidence. First, there's morphological evidence, which is to say there are surface features in Valles Marineris that are consistent with glaciation. The second is mineralogical. So some of the composition of the rocks in this valley network have been consistent with glaciated uh, minerals. And then, of course, there's a structural thing to say, how is the whole area put together and physically structured? So, these three uh, pieces of evidence have kind of come out in these papers, and there's more than one paper. It's across a various kind of source, uh, a various group of these uh, source papers have said that, hey, this network looks like it may have evidence of being formed by glaciers. Now, this new one that we're looking at did kind of a deep dive of high rise images. High rise is the uh, big camera on the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, and it really specifically investigated an area called Kandor Chasma which is one of the largest canyons that form Valles Marineris. And what they did is they compared Candor Chasma to a a few different places on Mars. First of all, they found no similarity to known glacial terrain like those in promethe terra or the north polar layer deposits so two areas where we know there's been glaciers so there's very very strong evidence of glaciers um, they compared the two terrains and found that hey there's not quite as much similarity here as we might expect in fact uh... barely any at all and then second it compared this candor Chasma to an area uh... called christ planitia which is where viking landed and uh, we know that christ planitia is not glacial And uh, this place in Chasma appears very similar. So basically we said, let's look at other places where we know there are glaciers. Nope, doesn't look like that. And let's look at places where we know there aren't glaciers and hey, looks a lot like that. And so after all this kind of examination, of the surface features, as well as the mineralogical evidence, so just using spectra to, to determine what these rocks are made out of, this paper concludes that there just isn't enough evidence that Valles Marineris has had significant glaciation, at least not enough, not enough to be more plausible than a non-glacial uh, forming activity like tectonics, for example. So if there are glaciers forming Vallus Valles Marineris, they're not doing a very good job of proving it. So we'll have to kind of wait for more evidence to, to see that, uh, that theory through. All right, so let's move on to uh, some rocket news. Uh, We're gonna talk about SpaceX, Starhopper. Now, we may have stayed quiet over the holidays, but SpaceX most certainly did not. So down in Texas at their Boca Chica facility, they've been building what appears to be the very first BFS test vehicle. BFS, of course, being the big Falcon spaceship, which has since been renamed to Starship. Starship, of course, being the large-scale ship that SpaceX intends to use to take people to car- and cargo uh, to deep space. Now, this Starship test vehicle began taking shape in early December. There was uh, a few pictures coming out of some sort of you know barrel shape being built. Uh, at first, it looked like very, very rickety. I kind of joked that it looked like kind of an old wheat or grain bin, which we see a lot out in the prairies. So maybe that joke only resonates with some of you who grew up in agricultural communities. Uh, but... After a while, this grain bin began coming together very quickly and Elon Musk eventually began tweeting about it and confirming its purpose. So basically it's been described as a low fidelity, meaning not quite accurate but close enough. Uh, It's 9 meters wide and it's kind of truncated in height, so a low fidelity test article. And through the process, we began to learn some new details about the vehicle's eventual final state. And there have been changes since the last time we had an update on Starship. The vehicle will use three, quote, radically redesigned Raptor engines, which we don't know much about yet, um, but hopefully we're going to have a test firing this month of these new engines. Uh, We've learned that the vehicle will shift from carbon composite to stainless steel, which at first may seem like kind of a bizarre switch because stainless steel is pretty heavy and. Um, you know, maybe not the most common material we'd think of to use to build a spaceship, but actually has a lot of engineering benefits, specifically about heat dispersion, uh, which can be much better. So they're going to be using some sort of liquid cooling technique, which will pass kind of some of the methane fuel around the uh, the front of it to cool it off. And then uh, the uh, side benefit, of course, is that since paint can't uh, really be used on the outside of something that has to go through atmospheric entry, they're going to do a kind of a polishing job on this and have this really nice mirror chrome finish, which is super sci-fi. Now, the test vehicle itself may fly as early as March or April, perhaps upwards of five kilometers hovering and returning to Earth. So if you ever watch the old Falcon 9 uh, grasshopper test, which basically just kind of up and down tests to, to figure out if they can have their software do the vertical landings properly this should be similar um, but of course we've got a new engine coming raptor so we want to do these tests all over again all in it was a really fun holiday thing to watch um, there wasn't much else going on and so being able to check in every day and see the progress on this Starhopper test article has been uh, a really a fun experience now the first half of this year is going to look a lot exciting, a lot more exciting than we expected it to. Because I don't know if there was a lot of faith that there was going to be these kind of Starship test articles this fast. I know sometimes they said that there would be, but we all know that SpaceX timelines or any timeline in the space industry has to be taken with a grain of salt. So it's good to see hardware. I love hardware, um, and get some of these. Uh, it, it's nice to move on from some of these endless speculative media coverage uh, of of SpaceX and onto something with concrete, crunchy bits that you can touch with your hands my very very favorite all right and then uh before we move on to our spacecraft updates we're just going to have a a quick milestone announcement for mars express so the european space agency's mars express express spacecraft celebrated 15 years at mars uh, over the break so it of course arrived on christmas day 2003 Uh, It was accompanied by the Beagle 2 lander, which, uh, if you recall, was not successful. It did touch down softly on the surface, but because it failed to open its solar panels and those solar panels were blocking the antenna, it never was able to call home. Uh, But the Mars Express orbiter did enter orbit, and it's been working for 15 years uh, from space around Mars ESA released a promo video composed of all these amazing renders that uh, mars express has made using its stereo camera hrsc the uh, high resolution stereo camera Uh, it's truly been providing a lot of stunning perspectives on the martian landscape and this video really kind of called called all the highlight reel images it's been really great to kind of watch i love uh, high rise sorry uh, high resolution stereo camera images Um, they're able to combine the color and the texture with a digital terrain model to actually create these renderings of what it might look like on the ground if you were flying around mars and so it's just a really spectacular way to to visualize the red planet so here's to mars express thanks for all your hard hard work over there at ESA, and uh, we hope to see many more years from this uh, great orbiter all right so let's get on to our spacecraft updates our surface assets We'll start with Insight. Today is Sol 45 for Insight. Already 45 Sol since landing. Uh, Insight stayed busy over the holidays, despite the government shutdown, uh, mostly because this is a you know it's a benefit of being managed by JPL, which is technically a contractor, uh, Lockheed Martin, and of course the international partners uh, for Insight. Now, the holiday break was spent mostly settling in the new size instrument, the seismometer, uh, which was recently placed on the ground to collect seismic data right before the holiday break. First, the instrument had to be leveled, which is using these self leveling legs. So, these little legs that come down that the instrument sits on can move up and down. And using the seismometer itself, you can actually kind of uh, measure the 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 flatness of it and you can align the gravity vector straight down and this will just improve the accuracy of the seismic data that it's going to later collect so that's very good to see and then next insight had to take care of its tether cable so this seismometer is sitting on the ground away from the spacecraft it has a long kind of flat ribbon cable that connects to it and once they were confident that the instrument was where they wanted it you have to release the slack on this tether So they have a bunch of extra tether and they extend it out to let the instrument go down. And then basically on the lander side, you open the tether box and all the slack falls out, which brings the tether down to the ground on that side. And then over on the instrument side, you also release a little latch. And that kind of lets this, uh, it's a little loop of cable, maybe a few inches long. It lets that out so that you have slack on the instrument side as well. And what this means is that the cable lays flat on the ground. There's a lot of cable between the instrument and the lander. And so different things like interference from the lander, you've got these big solar panels, the wind's gonna hit it, it's gonna shake and wobble. That can translate through the cable to the instrument and mess up the seismic readings. And so this this extra slack laying on the ground will kind of eliminate that, or at least minimize that. So it's very important to increase the accuracy of the instrument's uh, measurements. So that was all done successfully, we're good to go there. And uh, from there, the instrument itself is mostly ready. All we need to do is put the windshield on. So there's kind of a cover that goes over the seismometer. It's still on the deck of the lander, so the arm is gonna have to pick that up, take it out, and drop it over the seismometer to uh, kind of finish off the deployment sequence there. Everything's going very good. It's a good pace for InSight. Um, we might even see the HP3 deployment this month, uh, as long as the government shutdown doesn't you know, continue to Cause adverse effects. I don't know how long it will take before it really affects JPL. Um, there's been cases before where JPL has actually contributed its own funds to keep the uh, mission operations and, their, and, and different, you know, mission um, assemblies. I'm thinking about Mars 2020. Keep those kind of projects going and uh you know with the eventual understanding that the government will hopefully one day open again and pay them back so uh, jpl is a little bit insulated from this this kind of mess but uh yeah hopefully it doesn't uh, slow down the deployments too much because it would be great to see hp3 the little heat flow probe uh, put on the ground in january so we'll move on to curiosity today is sol 2287 2287 Now, we left Curiosity over the holidays prior to the government shutdown with some longer-term plans to diagnose its broken computer. Um, These these diagnosing processes are a little power-intensive. They require the rover to sit still, so this kind of holiday break was a good time to execute those and gather some more information about what what went wrong with uh, Curiosity's computer a few months ago. In addition, the rover did a really cool kind of 10 day meteorological observation stint to do a long scale detailed analysis of the weather. and The observations went very well. We don't always get an opportunity to sit in one spot this long and measure the weather. So that's uh, very good data to have as well. Now getting back into the swing of things in the new year, mission planners began to prepare and observe the rock haul drill sample which was made before uh, the break. So. This kind of started with some re-imaging of the worksite, um, just in case the rover moved during those kind of 10 days. Um, there's little you know, wind or whatever, if it's shifted downhill, you never know. And so they wanted to re-image all the spots again around the worksite so that they could make their comparisons later. Further, uh, the ChemCam instrument made some passive observations as well of the drill hole. And finally, the sample was delivered to the SAM instrument or Sample Analysis at Mars. Sam basically takes these rock samples, the drill dust, uh, puts it inside the rover belly, heats it up like an oven, and measures the gases that come off of it to properly understand the composition of the rocks. And so we kicked off that for the rock haul sample. This is the 19th drill hole on Mars. And then some other cool things happened over the break as well Uh, there were some dust devil movie captures this is basically where curiosity looks down the same area and takes pictures and pictures over and over again for a a long extended period of time sometimes like 30 60 minutes and then uh, there was also the study of a meteorite candidate nearby called gometra which is a very sci-fi sounding name maybe like a sci-fi villain or something gometra and uh, some fun rock target names besides Gometra. Uh, I'll read a few of them off for you today. Uh, Luskintyre, Fishertown, Nocky St. Cyrus, and Pittscurry. Of course, these are all um, very Scottish named, named after this, uh, this Torridon quadrant that Curiosity is currently exploring. Uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're new here, the areas around Gale Crater are divided into these squares and assigned a geographical analog on Earth. And then all the rock target names inside that square correspond to that area on Earth. It's kind of a way to make a themes of the, the different squares along this uh, traverse. So the current one is Tordin, um, which is named after a place in Scotland. Hence, all these different Scottish target names, which have been very fun to read over the last few months. I'm very excited to see what lies ahead for Curiosity. This is the last drill sample up here on Vera Rubin Ridge. And then onward, we go back down the other side into a clay bearing unit. So we should have a lot of focus on these kind of clays, a lot of uh, water focus. Um, I like clays a lot more than I like um, the the kinds of rocks that are up on Vera Rubin. Uh, so it's way, uh, way up my alley. I'm very excited to see uh, where we go from there. And finally, we'll end with opportunity. Always the sad way to end it over the last six months. Today is Sol 5321. And uh, there's been no update from the rover since June 10th. The holiday break was quiet. Um, Since the last contact, the Deep Space Network staff have sent over 448 recovery commands to Mars, hoping to prompt a response out of opportunity. And of course, nothing has come back. Now this active listening period where we're calling Mars and saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, uh, continues into January. The windy season itself, which is the best period during which the dust devils may clean off the solar panels and give opportunity a chance to recharge, kind of goes just about to the end of the month, around January 26th or so. Um, now, there's no official date for the active listening to end. The agreement was that NASA would review it in January, um, so they have to approve every, any plans going forward. And so maybe in a weird sense, um, because NASA's absence during the shutdown Um, maybe this, uh, this active listening period could be extended. I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything on that. Of course, that's not the kind of thing that they're going to tweet out loud. Now the so-called passive listening, which is the sort of period that's expected to follow this active listening, um, uh, campaign that that's actually ongoing right now. They do them kind of in tandem, which basically means they, they record everything coming back from Mars. And so they have these things at the Deep Space Network. They're not the main dishes. They're these radio science receivers that sit and they record everything. They just basically they're on all the time, collecting every radio signal coming from Mars. And then during the downtimes when they're not actively calling back, the mission managers will review this data and look for signals just in case Opportunity woke up at some random time and tried to call home. So that's ongoing now and will is expected to continue past the active listening period. Of course, nothing so far. Now, realistically, time is running out for opportunity. Uh, Once this windy season has passed, there's going to be fewer opportunities for a fortuitous solar panel wiping. Um, In addition, the summer is fading. The fall equinox is in March, and that means that already the days are getting shorter, and that means longer, colder nights. And so it's harder for it to wake up. So we're all wishing the best for opportunity. Um, Call home soon, our little robot friend. We miss you. So that's it. Those are your headlines for the week. Just a reminder, this show is possible because of the great curation of Yost at the Martian Soil account. And you can follow him on Twitter at Martian Soil to get headlines like this in your Twitter feed. And once more, if you liked what you heard today and you want to learn more about Mars and follow the headlines, consider joining us on Patreon for just $3 a month. You get these shows every week on Friday at patreon.com slash we martians. And Patreon has a great RSS feature, so basically you can load these as a second RSS feed right into your podcast player, and they just kind of publish like any other podcast. It's pretty slick. So have a great afternoon, a great uh, uh, weekend, and at Mm Aries.